everyone. This is Amy Steele, also known as Ginny, from Friday the 13th, Part 2. And when I'm not studying up on child psychology, I'm listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that knows the most essential component of any musical diet is lots and lots of beef. <laughs> My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, our month of musical mayhem continues as we head to the theater and try to survive Brian De Palma's The Phantom of the Paradise. And whether or not you cry during the Rainbow Connection, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your beef hole. <laughs> and of course, you can find us out on social media. We're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And of course, it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which again leads to shenanigans and phantom shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Friday, May 14th, Screenland Armor, they have your genre needs taken care of indoors, outdoors, and virtually again. And on the Friday that this episode releases, Genius, uh-huh. our latest Friday Night Fright competed a few years ago in our 2019 Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament, mm -hmm. which means this particular film is now celebrating its 42nd year of terror. Wow. The year of 1979, Genius, it gave us two films. Concerning divorce. Mm -hmm. I'd like to think the normies got Kramer versus Kramer. Uh -huh. And us horror hounds <laughs> got David Cronenberg's The Brood. Oh, boy. <laughs> Goblins are attacking the school teacher. Keep your hammers out of their hands. This is psychoplasmatics. So it's technically, it's I messed up, it's psychoplasmics. Psychoplasmatics would be if Wendy O. Williams went and actually did that particular oh, shit. If therapy. she was the goblins, if she could, ah! Instead of red mittens, it would be black uh, tape over their nipples. And at the end, fucking it's, she's over there, it's Pat Ast <laughs> with all the goblins. Pat Ast should play the therapist, and then Wendy O. Williams is actually the manifestation of... The of she's the goblins, yeah, she's the psycho... That's the psychoplasmatics. Wow, that's the psychoplasmatics, but... No, in the brood, we get the psychoplasmics. <laughs> As performed by one Oliver Reed, and this is 1979, classy. Oliver Reed. And Samantha Eggers, this is this is actually a kind of a classy film. It is. It's very thought-provoking, very think piece, but with a Cronenberg twist. Oh, completely. The ending of this film is one that will stay with you forever. And I I have actually seen this on the big screen. I saw it at Tapcade. Really? So I'm anxious to see it, hopefully, in Theater One. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also showing indoors... Love some old school Cronenberg. Oh, and this is like, I think, a good ca encapsulation of classic and, and, cl and, and, and creepy. creepy. Yeah, it's in that Venn diagram. It's, it's not on all three because it's not nope. contemporary. It's that one part of the Venn. It's nice. Yeah. It's nice when you get that kind of overlap. But speaking of what is kind of creepy, in the year of 1987... Uh, we got an interesting romantic comedy centered around something that I'm sure Yuck Connors would appreciate. Uh, nothing's going to stop us, genius. <laughs> Mannequin. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Nothing's going to stop us now. <laughs> and if this world runs out of lovers, we'll still have each other. I fucking love that movie, and I love that song. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of, uh, in this case, it would be Jefferson Starship. Right. Not, they took the air out. Yeah. Oh, man. But do you, you, the one thing that you probably forget about, <laughs> Mannequin, that got to look off screen. Uh, James Spader is in that. Yeah, yeah. as like the creep. Yeah, the, yeah imagine that. Oh, right. <laughs> but the hair is slicked down as it was at that time. And now another one that is playing is, and I've seen that, but technically I've seen a lot of the skits that it's, uh, sketches that it's based on from SNL. Mm -hmm. McGruber will be playing. I've seen that as well. I've heard mixed things. I've As heard have it's I. either the dumbest shit 
Or it's the funniest thing ever. So, And if I can meet it halfway in the middle, I'll be happy. So I will be watching this for the first time because I, I would like to see that in the theater. And then continuing from last week's um, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings, mm-hmm. we now have The Lord of the Rings. The Two Towers. I like that movie. I like all the I like the Lord of the Ring trilogy, the first one. I didn't mind the Hobbit trilogy, but I really like the I, I I don't know if I would sit through all nine hours of all three of them together, but I would definitely do serialized bite size like the way they're doing there. I Greenland. did that last week actually. I set in for about the first two hours of fellowship, so we we're about halfway through, you know, when I decided to leave. Right. But I uh, know Two Towers definitely follows it up there. Now, that being said, that is indoors. Now outdoors, of course, on Friday. Um, a film that I guarantee you will not find Genius McGee at. And since we are talking musicals, hopefully you can tell me more. Tell me more. Will yeah. I put up a fight? Yeah, that's a little problematic. Uh, Grease will be playing outdoors. I fucking hate that movie. I really do. I mean, hot take. I know I just heard half the people go, what? Or click. One of the two. One of the two, right? I fucking hate that movie. I hate everything it stands for. I hate the music. Ugh. I like. I don't mind two. No, no, and that's just it. I'm also on the stance. I love Grease two quite so much more. In fact, I think one of my f- highlights of hosting back in the day was a Grease two screening because it wasn't fully attended, but everyone there knew all the words to the song and just were having such a ball. It was so much fun. So yeah, now we're not showing Grease two. This is the original Grease. But then on Saturday, a film that I have not seen in quite some time, but I friggin loved when it came out uh but rushmore i've seen that really i know of it and yeah I, and i love wes anderson movies so but so like that's on my that's a blank spot so if i ask uh were you in the shit yeah i was in the shit it's well worth your time uh, I, I know it's on my list and, and especially just bill murray that was about the time that he really truly transitioned into kind of this great character actor mm-hmm. so i'm anxious to see how that plays outdoors now Put it on your calendar, actually, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't forgotten about our beloved Shutter shoutouts. No, no. No, no. In fact, technically, we are going to be doing it on a monthly basis rather than bi-weekly. But save the date, Saturday, May 29th. <laughs> We're doing Monsters and More with our double feature. Oh, this one's going to be great. This is I'm excited for. I am excited. Now, the first film on a double feature is one that we actually were able to view through a, last year's Chattanooga. Chattanooga Film Festival, yeah. Uh, what are we going to be watching first, Genius? We are going to be watching CSI Crystal Lake Sao Paulo edition. Skull the Mask. Yes. No, that's exactly... It's, this movie is great. It's part police procedural, part slasher, part like monster. All fun. A blast. A blast. And then we're going to be following it up with... <laughs> with Hunky Boys! <laughs> Which, I was thinking about it, and I don't know if I've laughed harder in a theater this year than with the... I'm not into hunky boys. Or am I? And then the payoff of not, <laughs> not my hunky boy. Or it's crazy ball. <laughs> PG Psycho Gorman coming to Shutter. Oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. No, I cannot wait to view those. Now, of course, if you do have Shutter, you can stream right along with us. But if you would like some customized content that includes a pre-show, introduction, trailer wheel, and what promises to be scintillating conversation, head on over to patreon.com slash nightmare junkhead mm-hmm. where you can join and join our film family and become a pally <laughs> and you definitely want to be a pally because on the following monday we're going to be releasing our monthly commentary track mm-hmm. this one's going to be interesting because we're staying musical mm-hmm. and you got a little bit of the pipes there of one genius mcgee we if there's no way in hell we could do a commentary about this movie and I not sing, you of know, course. I mean, so fuck it, you know. So Rocky Horror Picture Show, a commentary slash sing along. Yes. And I'm going to promise to work on my harmonies because I have a horrible voice. So I'm going to try to do my best to back you. <laughs> so I'm going to be one of the Ronettes, you know, I'm going to have a, you know, Shoo-ba- <laughs> all that kind of good stuff. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> but no, we've got a lot of great content. Everything from a squidly diddly to another time. Another place. We have a tier for you. So head on over to patreon.com slash nightmare junkhead. And as this month of musical mayhem continues, when we were putting everything together in terms of what we wanted to talk about, there were a few on the list that 
were old time favorites for both of us. Mm-hmm. But then there were a couple of them on there that I know one's going to be a first time for you. Mm-hmm. One is a first time for me. And the first time for me, you were a little shocked when I revealed oh, that it was an I've seen that. I was more excited because I think I even karate kicked. I'm like, you let's did. talk about this movie. Let's talk about this movie. Because I guarantee you, genius, if you would have asked me, hey, have you seen uh, Phantom of Paradise? Come on, that De Palma musical with uh, Garrett Graham and... The, you know, what's her name from Suspiria? Right, right, right. I've seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and I have used clips of this film in multiple pre-shows that we put together. I have used that trailer. That trailer will come about multiple times in your outdoor trailers, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen, Screenland. And I can now so wonderfully and truthfully say I've seen that. And what... A friggin' build up, and what a w- I'm so I'm upset it took me this long, <laughs> but I'm also just so happy I finally saw it. I'm fucking ecstatic right now because, <laughs> like, I was like, Oh, you haven't seen, and it wasn't more along the lines of like, You haven't seen it, but sh- we, we don't sh- shame. The, the shame none didn't come out. It was the fact that, like, you're getting to see it. And I remember said, Watch it with me, watch it with me. You know, <laughs> I was like, I want, I want to see you, why? Because I knew this movie would be right up your alley, and like. I'm excited that I was right. You know, it's one of those like, yes. Well, and the, uh, throughout the, uh, just referencing Patreon again here, if you go to our Squidly Diddly tier, uh, one of the perks of that is I release three episodes a week of just little 10 to 15 minute reactions of uh, movies I, that I've seen that. So movies I'm watching for the first time. And uh, most of them usually meet my expectations based on what I bring, my baggage that I bring, the things I know about the film. But then there are just a few of them that exceed those expectations. This one exceeded. Nice. And especially because of the way it started, the way that it told the story, because all the music and the mayhem, I've, I kind of, that's the I've seen that portion. Mm-hmm. But it's all the connective tissue and how it all works is incredible. But first and foremost, the fact that I love that we're getting to talk to Palma yeah. on this podcast. And before we officially Class. head into the paradise. Not really. No, no. it's Not really. Classy is not two minutes into your Stephen King adaptation of Carrie. You have full frontal nudity. Right. And just one of the most like. Plug it up, plug it up. Yelling at people and shit. Yeah. Ever. But De Palma's work, though. Infamous. Oh, completely. And the fact that he came about with, in fact, they were all at USC Film School. You had some filmmakers. You may have heard of them before, genius. Uh, we're talking George Lucas. Oh, really? I can't do a Steven Spielberg. <laughs> and I can't do a Francis Ford Coppola. Uh-uh. But all of them and De Palma were all part of the same class. Ah, how crazy is that? That is nuts. That's like like uh, the Breakfast Club. They of were known like as the movie directors. They were known as the movie brats because the one thing that I've always dug about some of the contemporary filmmakers like Adam Green and Joe Lynch, mm-hmm. and I know they hate the label, but like fans first, yeah, because they have how much they love movies. Same thing with Spielberg. He is such a fanboy for so many things that you can see on the screen, and he puts that out, and he's proud of it. So he and just all of those cats, George Lucas. Oh, yeah. Star Wars is basically him trying to do Flash Gordon. You yeah. know, So they're trying to you know, put in all these influences from their youth, stuff that they loved. Nostalgia, of which we'll get into eventually with Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, yeah, with a lot of it. It's cool when a, like, a group of directors comes out of the gate like that. Like they, and then later on you have it like when it came out when it was Tarantino, Rodriguez, yep. Kevin Smith, who were all influenced by these filmmakers. By these guys. Yeah, so you had these like like spurts of just like these great weird experimental movies before they really cemented them as a force. And then with but through the generations. And this one is a perfect example. It's a De Palma movie through and through. Completely. But the reason I we know that is because he does have certain almost tropes, but definitely an aesthetic mm-hmm. to his films. And always with me, with De Palma, I'm always going to, it's going to look good. The colors are going to be striking. And not in a shallow type way, although kind although, of. sometimes. But they just meld so well, and it just, it's a feast for your eyes. And just and, and the untouchables. Mm-hmm. When, That's the Chicago. That's the De Palma way. <laughs> the De Palma way. When he, when Costner tosses Billy Drago 
off the 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 the, the rooftop. Mm-hmm. Even the way it's shot with his pure white outfit, it's yeah. so just everything is striking. Talking about like Carrie, the colors at the very end when she's in red, just, just drenched in red. Oh and my then god! The colors of the car and oh. everything. Everything. It's yeah. There's a lot of influence on that. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, the fact that a lot of his films are known for kind of the interplay between sex and violence, mm-hmm. so much so that he was one of those uh, filmmakers that was always getting not necessarily controversy, but he did Scarface. Yeah, and he was North America's uh, Argento. I can see that. Yeah. Absolutely. I've, I've seen that with a lot of that. You can, well, and it's funny. We'll talk the Argento connection here in a second as well. But no. Someday we'll find the Argento connection, the eyeballs, the black gloves, and, and me. me. <laughs> but he's also, <laughs> that's got a, uh, definitely a Boo Earns. Uh, Paul Williams. It is Paul, it is Paul Williams. Uh, but listen, listen, listen to some of the films that he has directed. And some of these are some of my favorite films here. Carlito's Way. Mm-hmm. Carlito's Way, just, here come the pain. He's he's worked with um, Pacino multiple times. He's Scarface, obviously. Uh-huh. Now, the two I usually end up mixing up is Body Double and Dress to Kill. I think was Dress to Kill, that was the Jalo homage? That was the Jalo homage, the Dress okay. to Kill one. And then Body Double, that's the one with Kathleen Turner, is it not? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Blowout. Blowout is one. You need to see that. I've seen that. I it's, can tell you the gist of it, but I, and I know I need to see it, but it's it, on the list. It's so weird. You know, I heard some stuff in my sound design. But see, when I think of De Palma, I think of The Untouchables and mm-hmm. Scarface, but I think of Carrie. Oh, And Carrie. then I think of Phantom of Paradise. This movie is... It had the same effect on me the first time I saw it, the same thing like Streets of Fire. And I think you might have had a Streets of Fire moment. Well, the music ties, the mm-hmm. the overall aesthetic, the design. Two years only separate Carrie and Phantom of the Paradise, and you can tell. Because also, one of the things, when I think to Palma, and just having recently watched The Stylist, is this the split, split screen, screens. And how he utilizes them. And, God, there's a scene in Phantom in here that was just amazing when that popped up. But I love the fact that he just has this style where you go, that's a De Palma film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a documentary called, where it's, I think it's just called De Palma. I watched it a few years ago, and it's him just talking about all of his movies. And I need to rewatch it now that I've like watched De this. De Palma on De Palma? It's De Palma on De Palma, basically. And also the fact that he is a huge, huge Hitchcock fan. In terms of the influences that they wear on their sleeve, he's all Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. In fact... That pops up in Phantom of the Paradise as well. Oh, yeah. And, again, we're easing and edging our way into the paradise. It's, it's, you know, uh, there's a line outside the door at this point. We haven't bribed the, the security guards. so We're we not gotta, on the guest list, uh-uh, genius. Uh-uh. Um, we're just hoping to catch the show. Yeah, we are, because we're fans of Paul Williams. I fucking love Paul Williams. So, Paul Williams, I, I think he's not an I've seen that kind of guy, but he's an I've heard that. Mm-hmm. Because he has written some of the most amazing and incredible and... You have heard Paul Williams' music, even if you never heard of Paul Williams. <laughs> well, and um, you're looking at the, the, some of the, the songs that he has written. Off the top here, we've got an old-fashioned love song. Just an old-fashioned love song. From the Carpenters, We've Only Just Begun. We've only just begun. I love that song. I loved it especially when, like, remember when they played at the beginning of In the Mouth of Madness? Like, oh, no, not the Carpenters. Carpenters. I'm going to play on my name. You know, and just. <laughs> you know what? The Carpenters brings people together. Think of Tommy Boy. Mm-hmm. You want to change? No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, rainy Days and Mondays always get me down. Mm-hmm. You know what doesn't get me down, genius? The love theme from A Star is Born. Oh, well, <clears throat> I can't, oh, that was horrible. And love, soft as a morning chair. Love, it's my favorite, and I just read that he wrote that one. Really? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My favorite is something we alluded to earlier. Why are there so many songs about rainbows and what's on the other side yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna tear up thinking about it i love he wrote all the songs for the muppet movies 
I love his music. Even like I said, if you even if you don't know who Paul Williams is, you know his music. That means he wrote Something Better Comes Along, which mm-hmm. might be my favorite jam on the Muppet movie. I, I actually own that one on record, and I was listening to it the other day, and it did indeed. The um, Rainbow Connection makes me cry, and there's another track on there that just gets me just as bad. It's just horrible. It's just this Pavlovian thing that I just get sad. And it's all because of this individual, Paul Williams, who I'm pretty sure my initial introduction to him was Little Enos. From Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> in and fact, we were watching it, and Mount Baldy comes in and is like, like Wait, is that little Enos? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And if anyone has not seen Smokey and the Bandit, number one, stop what you're doing. It might be Hal Needham's finest film. Smokey and the Bandit's great. But I feel bad for Paul Williams in it because it's just, you know, every time he's on screen, Burt Reynolds is just making fun of how short he is. And it's probably all improvised because he's Burt Reynolds he's and an Burt. asshole. It's <laughs> 70s Burt Reynolds. Hal Needham was encouraging it, I'm hey, sure. Hey, hey, you need a step stool for the Rainbow Connection? And <laughs> I'm just kidding. This guy's great. This guy's great. I love your work. You're like one of the Muppets. <laughs> it's funny. Like, God damn it, Burt. Back to your trailer. He also shows up in uh, Baby Driver. As, As, like, the weapons guy. Yes. It's fucking rad. I remember watching him like, oh, it's fucking Paul Williams. Paul Williams, I think, is one of those underappreciated geniuses. I think because yeah. he's gone yeah. through hell and back in his personal life. As, now, is there a good documentary about him out there that I haven't seen yet? There's, I haven't seen it yet, but his own personal story because he was the height of his career was in the 70s and, like, so he had a lot of drug problems, a lot of substance abuse, and where and and he overcame all of it and has been clean and came back on like his debut to like for recovery was singing Rainbow Connection one day and I'm watching on TV and here's Paul Williams singing Rainbow Connection. All these Muppets are coming along and then it's like oh, shit, he's really singing like with the song lyrics because it's a happy, soulful song. It is. But in the context of him, like, with his own demons singing it, I'm mm-hmm. like, God damn. Again, I'm starting to well up when I, li- when I hear it, when I'm watching the thing. I'm like, oh, it's the Rainbow Connection. You know what's even sadder than that? Fucking, there's a version of Sarah McLaughlin singing the Rainbow Connection. Uh, if you don't think that's, like, tearing too see You know there's the brown sound? That's some that's sort of sound, sound, but it just, yeah. That's the sound that calls the young sailors. <laughs> wow. So I do a thing in my class where we talk about cognitive dissonance, and I show them one of those ASPCA commercials minus the music, and we watch it, and we just look at the visuals, mm-hmm. and it's sad enough as it is. Right. But then you add that friggin' Mc- Sarah McLaughlin song. In the arms of the and some of them stop listening. You can see them covering their ears because it's just this awful scientific Pavlovian response of just automatic. You can put that over the happiest of scenes. Right. And it sucks the just the life out of it. Right. I mean, you can have like the three studios, right? But in the arms of the champ. And then like it just turns into this sad affair. Well, it's also on the opposite side, though. Thankfully, yeah, you can count sex. it. Then you, have the, you, you got Sarah McLaughlin's. Ying to Benny Hill's Yang. That well, sounds terrible. <laughs> antidote. Right? Well, the bad thing is Sarah McLaughlin has a lovely voice and she's, she's got fantastic. some great songs, but it's almost like, hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. I'm here to ruin your day. You know, and it's like, no, click. It's it's fair. It's fair. She's known for something at least. <laughs> right? Anyway, yeah, to back get us to back Williams. on track. <laughs> no, Paul Williams is amazing. And the fact that one of the things that I could have I've said that I've seen that with this mm-hmm. one. Is that he's basically his character of Swan is swooned upon by all these beautiful ladies. And I love that Paul Williams gets to play the sex symbol mm-hmm. in this film. Yeah. It's fan freaking tastic. I think that's worth the abuse that he took on the Bert set. Of, yeah. I'll show them. <laughs> Laugh it up, Bert. <laughs> you think you think you're now. It's the way to the hill, your swan song. <laughs> right? Well, we're traveling all the way back to 1974 for this swan song. And this film plays fresh for me, seeing it for the first time. you This film looks like, it does look like it came from the 70s. But in the best possible way, 
that it just looks like it came from the 70s. Hmm. It's so lush with the visuals, with the color, with the, the uh, production design, the costuming, the Phantom himself. Right. Everything, Everything is just looks lush and fun. And if we're talking about, we talked about De Palma tropes, let's go to our three musical tropes that yes. we initially established. Now, mm-hmm. I said initially there needs to be kind of an, an all-breaking-out kind of song or dance. Technically, we did not get the musical equivalent, although I will argue the stage shows. At, well, I was going to say, even at the very end, when the audience gets, gets into in, the play, I would almost say that's kind of an extension of that because everyone gets involved and everyone is responding and dancing right. and singing. Yeah, I was going to say the stage shows are that for me. Okay. You know, because there's an audience interaction. Yes. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a production number involving the audience as well. Okay, that is fair. Especially during the beef one. Oh yeah, where they create them because they're doing like all the pirate, the, the kiss. That's so good. Yeah, that is so good. Oh my god. But okay, so going back to it, we're talking about the well, and then style. Uh, hold on, and oh. then the uh, we we get get the themes, the, the tropes here. The second trope is: mm-hmm. Do we have star-crossed lovers? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, multiple, multiple accounts: Phoenix, Swan, and the Phantom. Mm-hmm. And then, of course. A villain theme. We do have a villain we do. theme. We, we do. We do. A few so, villain themes. I'd like to say we check all three of those musical tropes off of Phantom of the Paradise. Mm-hmm. Genius, where were we going? Well, to talk about the style of it, a lot of people can say, yes, it's a, it's a stylish movie, and it is De Palma style, and when we were talking about how lush and vivid it is, but it's not a case of style and no substance. No, no, There's a lot of things going on, even in the background, even throwaway gags and, and shit. There's a lot to say about the music industry, a lot to say about um, not only is it a telling of the Phantom of the Opera, but also the tale of Faust, so you throw that mix into play. It's a lot of shit going on. It's a good tale of revenge and old timey too. Yeah, it almost seventies old timey plays almost kind of like a fairy tale mm-hmm. in a way. Again, the cautionary tale. Yeah, but old timey and like the the background music, not even the the. Well, well, this came out in nineteen seventy four, and they talked that the juicy fruits were responsible for the nostalgia wave. And if you think about what they were playing, they were going to the fifties and sixties, which were only like ten to twenty years before that. And so it makes sense. As told by Rod Serling. Okay, so the beginning of this film, number one, has a great, and it tells you exactly the kind of movie that we're in, where Swan earns so many gold records. At the age of 14. And he puts them in Fort Knox, right? Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, Rod Serling. And the narration, it, it sounded like Rod Serling, and I didn't think about it. And so we kept getting into the more and more narration. I was like, wait, this, this really is Rod Serling. And it, it was indeed. Yeah. Which just added to the Twilight Zone of it, I guess. The very uh, almost fairy tale again, yeah. but more like a, a like one of these amazing stories. Very again, like you said, a Twilight Zone episode. But yet, here it is in this weird world where like all of music is controlled by Swan. Well, of course, wouldn't it? Well, it's almost like if we if we ever get to uh, man, and it would be it's not even horror adjacent, but like something like the Apple, where it's again it's a satire of the music industry. Damn <laughs> Which technically, uh, Paul Williams was mentioning that a lot of the send-up songs from the Juicy Fruits were satires of those particular genres. Well, we open up the first musical number is um, the Juicy Fruits, and they're like yeah, 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 yeah. Well, like ones like f- like uh, committing atrocities in the in the, uh, the, in the theater audience. while the audience while. Part of their whole choreography is flipping everybody off and like in fifty yeah. different languages. Right. Meanwhile, like you came and you broke my heart, baby. You left me and you done me wrong, and I'll show you. I'm I'm into that. I'm into that. Um, the, the actually the, even in the opening credits, very stylized, very mm-hmm. Broadway esque. Mm-hmm. Just the way that the font and the little lights in it. And again, from the get go, I was smiling, man. Because I was just like, just everything was washing over me. And you talked about Streets of Fire. There was a sense of familiarity with this. And I think because of all the clips that I've put in and watched and this and that, again, just seeing that, the intro, that bit of connective tissue was just the perfect start. Yeah. And then it just keeps getting better. And like you said, it keeps getting weirder, (laughs) which was, I just really, really love the fact that it just did get weird. And that's, how everything's set up 
is what really exceeded my expectations. I didn't expect Forrest to go to Sing Sing, for example. <laughs> I did say Sing Sing in font like that. And, and then with the Benny Hill fast-paced motion getting arrested montage. <laughs> that little, so Paul Williams didn't actually score that portion. It was actually composed by, because that's another bit that I was like, I'm really, really digging this movie. Um, that was composed by, hold on just a second here, where is my music by? Okay, hold on. This is horrible. I had it too. Greg Tipton. No, excuse me, George Tipton. George Tipton George composed that Tipton. kind of the uh, that almost inter the uh, inter almost intermission esque music there. It totally did sound. I was waiting for and I'm I, again that just enhanced my enjoyment of it because then you contrast that with the fifties esque music, which then we got to like the Beach Boys esque the Beach Bums one, the Beach Bums, and I. I was digging it, man, like legit. It was a good, it's a full music video. And then he had the De Palma split screen. Meanwhile, it's showing the bombs being placed. And it's such a, that's such a Hitchcock-esque scene, mm -hmm. the way it's built, the way it's shot. And then De Palma, the way he, and then he just adds his own little filter. And it's always the tour, yeah. which I love. And again, I'm watching it just with the biggest grin on my face, not necessarily knowing when it goes. And then it, ah, I, the explosion on screen. The explosion, you know, and my heart, genius. I was just really taken in with this movie. I'm really glad you liked it. I thought you would. I thought you would. Um, it's just an interesting sale because you feel very sympathetic for the Phantom. Oh, yeah. To, no. Because he, he did get dirty by Swan, and Swan is a despicable character. Like, even before when they have the auditions, what's the first thing that happens? Okay, get on the bed. Like, what? Yeah, we should say 1974, another time. Another place. Going straight back to Streets of Fire. Yeah, that was a little jarring. Also, Paul Williams dropping a particular F-bomb that, you know, is not the fuck. Yeah. So it just, but it is 1974. I mean, it legit, like 1970s cinema was dangerous in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Very experimental. And the fact that, you can totally see how he would go into Carrie from a movie like this. But I don't necessarily see, again, going into The Untouchables and no. then like Scarface and how he got bigger for the most part. This is such like a weird outlier on his resume. It's 100% yeah. De Palma, but it's also not. Well, do because you, you have the musical aspect. You have like the phantasmagoric. And yeah, he's done horror like that, but not with everybody sped up like Yakety Sax. Not where people go to Sing Sing. Not where they have like fish-eye lenses in the office to essentiate the weirdness. The, the Death uh, Records office was incredible from, again, looking at just how it was set up and again, mm -hmm. how he shot it. It's unnerving when you go in there. By any chance, uh, do you think Suge Knight was a fan of this film? And like, <laughs> Death Records. From death Records to Death, death Row Ro Records. He's like holding people outside of the fan, the paradise, pretending to drop them. They give my money, Vanilla Ice. You know? <laughs> uh, it, it just, it's just, it's, here's, this movie is cool. Yeah. Like, legitimately Cool. I like the synthesizer room that they had to make him talk, to give him a voice. All the bells and whistles. John Carpenter's like, that place is cool, right? And there's, and did you notice that finally when he's singing a song and he gets his voice back, Paul Williams puts a filter on it to make it Paul Williams' voice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a nice little touch, you evil bastard. He's so evil. Again, we it touches on. Now, did Goethe do Faust? I can't remember. Uh, the, the original German one? Yeah. Wasn't that... Uh, we're, we, boy, we're not smart here on the show. But no, you mentioned it. The fact that... And it, it lays it on not thick, per se, but you also get elements of the classic universal Phantom of the Opera, mm -hmm. which in and of itself, you get the... Dun, 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 dun. Randy Newman did Faust. R did a musical version of Faust. Jeez. I, I was to make a deal with the devil. Gonna tell my throat today. Going to meet him down at the Quathworth. I hope I get a good part of deal today. Doop a doop doop. Going to talk to the devil. Did he really? He totally God did. God damn dude. it. God damn it. I was it. looking up who did the Faust musicals, right? Fucking the first thing that pops up is Randy Newman's Faust. Jesus Christ. I'm going to fill my thong. <laughs> it's going to be great. 
My apologies, ladies and gentlemen. Let me real genius in here. I love hell. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> what I did love is that this film introduces Jessica Harper. Yes, introducing How? Jessica Harper, singing her own song. Yeah, so about halfway through the film, I even asked, I was like, man, this really sounds like she's singing her own music. And it, as you, as it turns out, she did. Mm-hmm. Multi-talented. Because she has that raspy voice when she sings. But this, she's great in this. The music fits her voice, though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The music is wonderful. Speaking of the music. Oh, okay. What? So I, th- I think my favorite one... And I was writing them all down because, like, oh, that's a good one. That's a good. But I think maybe it's because I did grow up in the Kiss Army, even if Gene Simmons is a horrible human being. But the Kiss inspired um, the creation of Beef yeah. number that technically opened the paradise by the undead. Oh, mm-hmm. so good, so good. From, it's a great song. From, Very operatic glam rock. And so, so Kiss's self-titled debut album came out in 1974. Uh-oh. So I'm curious because when I saw that, I was like, well, I that I mean, that's Kiss that they're doing there. So I'm wondering which one is the chicken and which one is the egg in this case. I don't know. I, I would have to say probably Kiss because they were probably doing local, local clubs. Stuff. But I mean, it takes a while to make the movie. Yes, it does. Maybe it's just one of those happenstances. But I think either way, none of them have beef. Beef stole the show for me. Oh, so Garrett Graham, who if we've mentioned... Uh, our chopping mall commentary. Mm-hmm. We got to mention him for a few seconds there. He is beef is in bits and pieces. Terrorvision, and he's one of those great character actors that used cars. Child's Play too. Yeah, Bud the Judd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we we love us some beef. Yeah, and I even remember probably the first time when we were talking about Garrett Graham and you were beef. And I, that's probably when I pulled an initial, I've seen that initially, going, I don't want him to know I haven't seen Phantom of the Paradise. you know. But now I totally see why this performance... I can't not see Beef. He's Beef. He's so good. Yeah, he is. Legit. And then the following year in 1975, we got the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I'm not saying that Beef influenced Frankenfurter at all, but you can I, see the DNA in the characters. Oh, absolutely. It's that whole glam rock aesthetic. It's that whole, like, even, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Alice Bowie, right? <laughs> we could do It's. I mean, it's the glam rock. Mm-hmm. I fucking love glam rock. Like, T-Rex and all of them, but uh, it, it's great He's, to add that whole aspect of it to the musicals because... You think when you think musicals, everybody thinks shit like uh, "Don't sit under the apple tree with anyone else but me," right? The forties, but they don't think of like Garrett Graham coming in singing a song about being put together and deciding to kill people on stage. So, <laughs> and the whole stage production of that, just the the um, the slicing off the limbs, going into the crowd and taking them, pulling them all apart, and then the creation, and again. You noticed what you noticed? He had a star on his crotch, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just the design. And, and he sells the role. And just the his theatric. First in, his first oh. introduction when they go in and, and uh, Paul Williams comes out like the cabin and the Dr. Caligari, right? And because he had the hat and everything and beef is in the, in the, uh, the coffin, coffin, right? He opens it up and then you just see he has the future. Beef. And then just that slow. His wonderful, wonderful. That's got to be the the gift for the episode. Oh, I'll find that one. Believe me. (laughs) And it just it just cemented my love of his performance and Mm -hmm. what he's done in genre. The fact that he gets. First of all, gets not dispatched, but gets warned in in a psycho esque shot with a plunger. The oh my god! And what the minute I saw the shower scene, I'm like, okay, this is this is De Palma, of course. Mm But totally subverting the Hitchcock shower scene and making it ridiculous. <laughs> but, but, and I don't know, this had to have been an improvised bit that Garrett Graham did in the shower. But the behind the back little toss with the soap, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, oh, that's kind of wonderful. Mm-hmm. It just, it just, everything about it. Um, Somebody's trying to kill me. Oh, you're just all drugged up. No, I know the difference between drug real and real real. And this is real real. I I just now I'm glad that 
when I reference beef now, it's I know all the bits and pieces of the beef. <laughs> he's he's it's, great. He, uh, he just steals the movie for me. I mean, I, every time he's on screen, it's like it's wonderful. His his swan song actually though when he, he gets dispatched. Well, and it's it's not even so much that it's just the dancing he's doing in between. He's doing the chicken, the chicken dance and, and the whole just so over the top where. I can see how someone like that would eventually transition into the swinging lifestyle, and you would see the pineapple on the front lawn, (laughs) as we do get with Terror Vision. There was a shot initially before um, the, oh, what is his name? Uh, Leash Wilson. Wilson Leach. Wilson Leach. Before he gets sent to Sing Sing with the judge. With the oversized mallet. Oh yeah, the whole it looked like it looked like a a Danny Elfman dream. I was gonna say a Tom Petty video. Yeah, it did. Don't well, come around here no more. Boom. But it's for a brief second, but it's just, again, that flash of De Palma and, again, that style. Mm-hmm. But it does meld really well with the substance of the movie because it serves as that cautionary tale. Um, Jessica Harper in this is so good. Only three years later, she would then go to start as Susie Banyan in Suspiria. Suspiria. Which now, seeing the fact that she worked with Argento and De Palma... And Makes just, sense. And especially the use. So I would love to see this and Suspiria as a double feature. Oh, yeah. Singing and dancing Jessica yes. Harper. Yes. Yeah. Old Hollywood style. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I'm glad she showed up in the remake. Because she's wonderful in this. Well, and, it, and she's not the innocent heroine everybody thinks she's going to be. Oh, no. No, no, no. She is really quick to succumb to... You know, the... The just, allure of fame. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Genius McGee. You're n- someone that doesn't, you know, know, you know, doesn't necessarily dislike the spotlight or anything. What would it take for you to, you know, sell your soul? What's the Faustian thing? Is it is it the Homer? Not the donuts, but... Uh, well, there's, some, there's something along the line they said in there anyway. It's like when he was sitting in the mirror, he's like, well, your soul's going to hell anyway. You might as well get something good out of it. <laughs> Come on now, man. You've you've lived a pretty stalwart <laughs> lifestyle. I don't think I you don't have think I'm going to go to hell. But I mean, at the same time, like, hey, you want your own like late night TV show and a couple of billion dollars for like uh, for uh, forever? Oh, is cool. it is it late night with genius? Yeah, late night with genius. Hey, now okay. So let me ask you this: Is Mount Baldy is he going to be your Ed McMahon or is he going to be your Kevin Eubanks? No, no, no. He's gonna no. He's gonna be like the camera guy that's always like. Or the guy, the guy holding up the cue cards like the (laughs) the Wally, like he's like that was bad, right? And like, what'd you think? No, no. They just cut to him, and he's like, man, stupid. And then sometimes they'll come and we'll do segments and shit together. Ooh, that's good. Mm -hmm. The little you know, man on the street. Yeah, you and oh, god damn it. Okay, I'm. You know what? I'm gonna be (laughs) tuning in sadly, so I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. Get a knock on the door right now. We need a new show. Hey, you got any ideas? Uh oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> just in jest. So yeah. here's my problem. My Faustian bargain would just me just being in the audience somewhere. <laughs> no <laughs> way, a, dude. Just enjoying it so I don't have to be in the spotlight, but I can no be way. part You're of it. You're the band leader. <laughs> oh, You're the Doc Severin. Can I can I play the cello? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to miss. No, you could be the Jean Baptiste, dude, because you could play any fucking instrument you want. Jean, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That would be good. That would be good. Okay, let's get back on track here. Anyway, Swan. Swan. I love their logo. Death Records. With a little dead bird. That is great. A lot of fucking birds in this movie. A lot movie. of birds. You got Swan. You got the Death. You got uh, the well, logo. You got Genius. Phoenix. Who did the birds? Well, Hitchcock, yeah. So that makes sense again. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just, he's not being very subtle. With his homages. And Even his... the dance scene, they were all birds. The dance death scene. Well, the dance death scene at the very end really struck me because there was a particular extra in the crowd that... Rock freak. Rock freak. From the get-go, I was like, who is that? Because they they had a very Bowie-esque, Iggy Pop-esque kind of look. Mm-hmm. And immediately from the get-go, when things start going Ari, and he immediately hops up. He's ready to go from the get and I thought perhaps that was going to be someone like a passing of the torch, potentially. Not necessarily. It's just someone that got caught up in the heat of the moment. And even Paul Williams, Swan mentions the fact that, oh, I'm going to kill her on stage because it's over all like this is the best kind of entertainment. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's kind of a play on how bad we are for the most part. Well, again, it's everybody in this movie is awful. And everybody is everybody is signed deals with the devil. You think 
You you wind up thinking, okay, Swan is possibly the devil himself. Right. But then he has that line, I am under contract too. And then you see the bathtub, how he's always been a pretentious shit. Because he, he was a musical genius. And then I guess, like, yeah, if I'm going to might as well die, if I'm not going to be able to be young or look good forever. Was it probably uh, the, what, was it 27 when a lot of them passed? The 27 Club, yeah. something like that? Probably. Yeah, 27, yeah. I think so, right? No, and that's actually that entire sequence is the way it's shot. The way that actually the Phantom is looking at it, the fact that everything is recording via reel to reel, and that is the contract. And that's what, you know, in the mid 1970s, technology was changing, and that makes sense. And he's this record producer. He knows all those audio visual things, and everything is all. Even like his bedroom, even when he torments the Phantom, <laughs> when he's like making love to Jessica uh, to uh, Phoenix, yeah, and he's like <laughs> just broadcasting it and then recording, recording himself watching himself through with the, the window with, via the Phantom Creepception, right? and he's just there with that like sinister Paul Williams smile. Yeah, and it, it, again, more power to Paul Williams playing just the love. The fact that he is just adored by women. They are swooning for him. Well, the way he, the first time we see Swan proper, it's at the beginning of the orgy when he walks in. Swan, Swan, Swan. Like, I've been here 12 times and I haven't auditioned once yet. And like, oh. Uh, it, that, so you had a chance, you did host this once with, mm-hmm. a, with a theater. Were there reactions kind of like just that another time kind of thing? It's kind of like, ew, you know, but like. Give him a little context That's, before. Not even that. You don't even need it. He's a creepy He's just movie a creep producer. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is true. Everybody is knows true. of the creepy music producer tropes. I mean, and that's what De Palma was making fun of. Like, as in, un- unfortunately, the first thing you do when you go in the room is you lie down and there you go. They even made it. You can't you sing on your back before? They mentioned shit like that. So there's a commentary about that, yeah. like, awful aspect the fact that Swan, one, made a deal with the devil. Two is willing to destroy anybody for anything because like the the first time we even hear him, it's got his lackey a Wilbur or something yep. Fillmore talking about I made her and now she's got the gall to throw. Don't worry about it. She's she's history in this town, you know. Nothing like nothing. Well, there's disposable entertainment and there's disposable entertainers, mm-hmm. and I think that's almost what they're commenting on at this point, and it's just, you know, yeah, we, we dug the nostalgia stuff, but now we're looking for the future. We're just looking for that next thing for content. Yeah. And it's showing how the ugly sausage is made in a, in a goof, not a goofy way, but an over-the-top way. Yeah, and it, I, I'm, again, I think we commented, we'd be there front row at the Paradise. It's a great show. <laughs> I would, in concert beef, yeah, I'm there. I'm there. I'm I'm following beef around the country at this point, but sadly, head. yeah, <laughs> the beef, we're the beef heads. No, and, and of course, as we find out that beef, you know, performs better medium rare than well done, and right, it's but then he. But then if he didn't pass away on the stage, we'd follow him around. But then we transition and like ah, I don't like his newer stuff. It's more like pop. You sold out beef. Right, or he goes into he goes from like glam rock to like adult contemporary. It just doesn't work with his style. I've know? followed Willie Nelson ever since from country to adult contemporary. <laughs> Might be one of my greatest favorite King of the Hill lines right there. No, I agree, I agree. But beef beef went bad, sadly. And beef was warned. And the whole premise of this is Phoenix is the only one that can perform and sing my music. There's very much this whole semblance of control and mm-hmm. ownership. And how the music industry strips that away from you. And what it can do when it's stripped away. Again, this film is so silly on the surface, but the true greats, with a genre movie, you can do a lot Mm -hmm. in terms of metaphors. Or just outright, no, this is just what it is. And even if you don't read it as the metaphors it is, it's still... It's such visually engaging and just so weird enough where it grabs your attention and won't let go. You know, you're like, well, what's happening next? And like, what, what's going on? Because nothing ever gets stagnant. It just keeps something new. A new decade appears. A new aspect of the paradise. A new uh, thorn in the side. Like, oh, Swan's immortal. Okay, let's see what that. What's going on next? It's just got that enough weird style. It, it, it is a breezy 90 minutes. I mean, it goes by so fast, but that works. And even the end scene where we get the Pope, 
um, Swan in his C-3PO getup for mm-hmm. the most part, which again, George Lucas is like, mm, that's good. I think I can borrow that. I think that's kind of cool. Can you sing in 3,000 different languages? <laughs> uh, it's The lovers. <laughs> the brrrr. But you can see where this would actually play as a great background movie at a party mm-hmm. that could easily get you to just get everyone around it and then just start watching it. Or just be that cool thing in the background that people are going to comment on. Because it's still got cool music. Even if it's playing in the background, the music is just cool. And then you can keep that on mute and then play the music, which I went probably about mm, about halfway through the film. I pulled up the laptop and I started searching for this bad boy. It's expensive. And I was trying to find okay. it on vinyl, of course, just because I'm a, I'm a dork. But I'm going to get this one, my friend. This one is so good. And uh, we watched this on the Scream Factory Blu-ray, which I am also going to be purchasing because... On disc two, there is a making of, which, and knowing what they do, is probably a good 40 to 45 minute long piece. I cannot wait to revisit this again. I'm, I'm really glad you liked it. I, I, am, th- I thought you would. I thought you would. I am too, because I'm always, I, I've never, I don't have a lot of hype going with these. And even again, if it just even kind of meets my expectations, even if it doesn't, I'm still, I will have seen it at least. When but, I hosted it at the Alamo, I, was, I asked afterwards, like, what'd you think? And people were like, Holy shit, that was a great movie. And I'm like, yeah, like that's that movie was so weird, but it was so cool. And like it's a cool movie. It's it's cool. It's just a cool movie. It's it's just weird enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the music is is phenomenal. Um, there's some toe tappers in there. Um, and of course, the performances are just yep. fantastic. No, from top to bottom, this one was an absolute joy. Uh, and again, is going to go into my regular rotation at this point. And I got to go back and watch De Palma now, just so I can hear him talk about Phantom. And now that I've got context and the connective tissue, mm-hmm. uh, other thoughts on Phantom before we uh, we do our little swan song here, genius. I would like to have a show like The Paradise. There needs to be something old school, like a, like a theater where there's like live shows and things like that. But I think like it was called American Bandstand, something like that. Now we're like da 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 da. Not to go up and necessarily dance, but to see spectacle. You know, I think that's one thing a lot of things are missing nowadays is spectacle. Panache. Panache. Well, some audience participation. Well, if you are needing a little spectacle in your life and some panache, you could do no worse than watching Phantom of the Paradise. Mm-hmm. Thank you for letting me truthfully say I've seen that with this one, Genius. I am so happy on this one. I'm, I'm glad you dig it, dude. No, this one was beyond fun. Beyond fun. Now, next week, we're actually going to be heading to Canada for our next uh, musical number, and this is going to be an I've Seen That For You, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, we initially first saw this first on Trailer Wars. Um, it looks weird, but it's got P as Adora, so... So, yeah, I mean, that that's what I love, what we've done so far, is we're actually going to go from Jessica Harper to Pia Zadora. <laughs> this is quite a ride, and I'm good with this kind of a ride. Um, so until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. I didn't even get to make a swan song joke.